This is the Jenny Schumacher story. Jenny, that, that last name is really famous right now, isn't it? It is, uh, more so, and much easier pr to pronounce for many people. So how would you pronounce it in its traditional form when you're in Europe specifically? Schumacher. Schumacher, okay. Yeah. So yeah. the origin of that is what? It's German. German Mine yeah. actually is Swiss. Swiss? Yeah. Okay, you yeah. pronounce that extremely well. Do you speak more than, how many languages do you speak? Uh, I speak French and German. In, I mean, I wouldn't say that I'm fluent enough to have like a government conversation. Sure. But I can live easily in both languages. Okay, cool. And then yeah. currently you live in the state of Utah. Yeah. But you also live abroad because you travel so much, correct? Uh, we do travel a lot. We tend to spend a lot of time in Switzerland. That's where the bulk of my husband's clients are. So he's there for work frequently. Okay. And uh, yeah, I and, like and, it there. And what does is, what is your husband do? Just curious. So he owns a consulting company uh, called, uh, well, he has a book called live with intent and the name of the consulting company is, uh, value add group. Oh, wow. Yeah. Value add group in Europe and your value add in the United States. That's amazing. So live with intent, which yeah. goes line in line with what we're doing here, exactly. live life by design. So that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. And then you're in the fitness industry, weightlifting industry. So yeah. maybe elaborate on that. What's your role? What do you okay. do? Um, let's, let's dig in there. Weightlifting as a sport, weightlifting as an Olympic sport okay. rather than just a hobby or a practice as far as like bodybuilding. So there's a differentiation there. Uh, as an Olympic sport, there's the snatch and the clean and jerk. And so those are competed worldwide. We're part, weightlifting is part of the original Olympics, modern Olympics. And uh, we are very excited about 2024 coming up in Paris and then 2028 in Los Angeles. So, so what's your role with the Olympics? My role, my role with the Olympics is uh, nothing other than I am the chair of the board of USA Weightlifting. Oh, wow. So my role is well, to... Well, that's a big role. Uh, I Why mean, did you say nothing? <laughs> that's a big role. Well, I mean, as far as like the day-to-day -day operations of the Olympics sure. and things like that, uh, as the chair of the board, I represent the board of directors to the CEO and the staff. Uh, as a board, we create strategy that will facilitate the mission of USA Weightlifting, which is to do multiple things. First and foremost is to excel at the international level, specifically the Olympic level. And then these upcoming Olympics, they're mm -hmm. where again? In Paris. They're in Paris. Mm -hmm. And what will your involvement be? Will you actually be going to Paris and staying uh, in Paris a little bit? I don't know that I will go to Paris. I think my role right now is primarily domestic. So making sure that the athletes have the support they need, supporting our CEO and staff and making sure that they have all the tools they need to succeed. Okay, that's mm -hmm. cool. And then tell me some of the categories. You're, you started naming some of these movements that com comprise like weightlifting on the Olympic level. Because usually weightlifting... It's like, oh, I can bench press 225 yeah, exactly. plus. Let's go. Yeah, exactly. So what, what, t tell us a little bit about that world. So weightlifting as a sport, like I said, in the, the entire rest of the world, if you say weightlifting in whichever language, people know what you're talking about as a sport. And you have athletes who are within that realm and within their countries as famous as maybe some major sports players in this country. So you have to keep in mind that a lot of countries are smaller. And so there are, while there are, football is king worldwide, right? 
Which kind of football? Sorry, soccer football. Yeah, yeah. You, you said football. it right. You yeah, said okay. it right. You said it right. <laughs> is king worldwide. But, you know, you By have... By the way, who's the best player in the world? Uh, Messi. Okay, you got it. Yeah, okay. exactly. We're Argentina rolling. in the We're house. We're rolling. We're right. rolling. Right, right. Um, no, I... So it's it's huge in the rest of the world, right? You look at the most famous weightlifter in the universe is four-time Olympian, three-time gold medalist, Pyros Dimas from Greece. I can say Pyros Dimas pretty much anywhere in the world and people know who I mean. Sure. He is a superstar. I was just in Switzerland at a smaller event. Pyros was there and uh, this was the 51st year of this competition. It was, it's very steeped in tradition. The same six families have been involved in it forever. And, you know, these men who lifted in this 50 years ago, in their 20s, are now in their 70s. And one of them was weeping with joy that Pyrrhus was there. Awesome. I mean, it's, so it's, uh, weightlifting is also interesting in that, especially in the United States, there's not a lot of money in it. So we are a volunteer, we're a volunteer mission passion-driven sport in the United States. And, and what drives your passion into the sport? You know, I started uh, I started coaching. I started participating, coaching, learning. And I found a place to belong and a family of really like-minded individuals who were striving for excellence, who were striving for fitness, who were also part of this greater family that literally, I mean, it's so interesting because it's such a broad, I mean, it's a finite sport, but it's so well known all over the world. I now have friends and what I would consider people that I love all over the world. So it started like that in the United States. I also had just moved back to the U- to the U.S. From? From Switzerland. Okay. And I didn't have, I didn't have a close-knit community at all. You know, I had friends whom I had known earlier. I had family nearby, but that was... Uh, you didn't have that third space, as mm-mm. we call it. Mm-mm. So let me explain. You understand what I mean by third space? Go ahead. So just for some of our viewers, just in case. So mm-hmm. first space would be your home, mm-hmm. right? Where you reside, where you spend the majority of your time. Hopefully, you know, you're yeah. at home a lot. Mm-hmm. And then second space is usually school or work. Mm-hmm. And then third space is where are you when you're looking for that sense yeah. of community? And, you know, you can have your friends at work, you can have your loved ones at home, Mm -hmm. but you also need that third space to be able to foster those relationships and look for like-minded individuals where you you can grow. It's your network. It's who am I with when I'm not in these first two spaces? Yeah. So it sounds like you were looking for that third space. I was. And you found it in the community. Yeah, absolutely. Of weightlifting. Absolutely. And I love what you said, though. It's a place to grow. Yeah. Because I think that... You know, having moved away, I was away for 13 years and coming back, not having a close knit community, not having a third space and then finding that, um, I did grow and I have grown and I, um, did you have a close community in Switzerland? I did. And it was related a lot to my children's school. Uh, I was very involved on a volunteer basis. Um, you know, in Switzerland at an international school, it's, uh, 
it's a it's like a super hyped up PTA. <laughs> sure. What was the name of the In school, Grape by the way? The International School of Zug and Lucerne. Okay, I was wondering if it was Tassis, the, oh, the no. American school in Switzerland, but oh, yeah. they have some of those in Puerto Rico. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 American schools are often associated with the military, military bases. Sure. Uh, and international schools are more private. Got it. Uh, and cater often to expatriates. Okay. Um, we were expatriates, but we were on the pioneer program of expatriate life. When, oh, wow. Meaning that we, Justin had his own company. We were kind of doing things more on our own. That's awesome. So it was great. So you're in Utah, you're establishing mm-hmm. this um, third space. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that. Like, how did that begin? And uh, what it began, kept like you I said, oh, in I that apologize. community? Yeah. The way that it began, like I said, as I started learning more about weightlifting, I started in CrossFit, realized I'd never done a snatch or clean and jerk in my life, didn't really know what they were. Um, started to be very intrigued. But hold on. When did you start your CrossFit then? Uh, 2010. But how soon after you had moved back to, or you very came to Utah? Very soon. So Very boom. soon. But that's after you got into the community and said, oh, I want to. No, I, I was looking for ways. I'm, uh, one of my most core values for myself is I really value strength. Okay. Like my hobbies in life, everything that I love to do requires physical strength. Oh, wow. And I, I love the idea of pushing, um, and my risk tolerance is, I don't, it's it's too high to even measure, which is why I get hurt so often. Wow. So there's that, but it's also, uh, really key when you're married to an entrepreneur. Sure. So that's, uh, an interesting side note. Okay. So, So, yeah. So you established the CrossFit. Did you just look on the Reebok website? I did. And I found a CrossFit in Cedar Hills, not far from where I was living. And then started doing CrossFit. After six months, the owners said, you know, are you interested in coaching? I'm I'm a nurse. And so I have kind of what I thought was and has turned out to be a good eye uh, for understanding body movement, correct movement, and helping people understand how to get better at things. Okay. So... Did you start the CrossFit or you, mm-hmm. oh, you, so it's your, you, no, 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 Okay. No, no, okay. No, sorry. So you started training at CrossFit. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And then you became enamored with the sport more and more. Mm-hmm. You started learning about all those movements mm-hmm. and then you stayed in the weightlifting community. Yeah. And I started focusing in more on weightlifting. Like I wasn't. The technical um, side of it. Yeah. All. The technical side of it, learning more about it, getting education and becoming better equipped to teach other people. Okay, cool. Yeah. And then at what point did you became, become a weightlifting coach? So not long after I started my, I think my first certification was through CrossFit and then I did what's called a level one certification with USA weightlifting, uh, probably 10 years ago. Mm. Yeah. 10 years ago, maybe 11. So 2013 or so. That's cool. Yeah. Okay. And then other things that I know about you, you also like this goes along pushing the limits, Mm -hmm. whitewater rafting, correct? Yeah. So let's dive into yeah. that world here for a second. What's that world all about? That is probably my first and most enduring love in my life. Really? Yeah. I can see the, yeah. the glow. <laughs> I can see that you're like yeah, stoked about it this. Yeah, uh, it's an amazing way to experience nature. Uh, there, I am more myself on a river than any other place in the world. Interesting. Part of that has to do with that you're, um, you're apart from the world. Uh, you're also highly focused on exactly what you're doing at the moment. 
right? If I'm rowing uh, my raft, if I'm thinking about other things, then I'm going to make a mistake. So there's a singular focus that is uh, really unique to just that thing. Mm. And it's extended because multi-day trips are anywhere from three to five to six to seven days. Or if you're doing the Grand Canyon, it's three weeks. And you're a guide, right? Uh Yeah. Yeah. So when did you discover your passion for whitewater rafting? Uh, I went on my first trip when I was 14. And where where was this? That was on the gates of Lodore in Utah. So okay, yeah, it's a section of the Green River. Green River, okay, section of the Green River. So that was an amazing experience. My dad started guiding when I was fourteen. Oh, okay. So he had friends who got him into it, and then when I turned eighteen, I haven't looked back. I've always had a raft since that point that I've either rented or used or borrowed. And then bought my own equipment. Okay. And, and then some it. of your kids now guide as well, correct? Yeah, I have a 29-year-old and a 22-year-old. My oldest was a professional guide, which, oops, sorry, uh, full-time, which is six months a year, uh, for six years. She now is a guest guide where different companies will call her and say, hey, we need you for six trips this summer. Are you available? And so she makes herself available to do those. And I mean, it's amazing. And then my youngest. So is this third generation now? Yeah. Started with your dad? Yeah. Yeah. Which they both actually have commented on and spoken to my dad about. And it's a connection for them that is incredibly unique. And like, it makes my heart warm to just think that it's third generation. So my 22 year old is also a full-time guide. She lives in her van in Grants Pass, Oregon. And then uh, she actually just was on a trip in Bhutan for a while guiding. She started kayaking, safety kayaking. So yeah, it's so a may, huge maybe explain part of our where lives. Bhutan is for some of our viewers. Okay, Bhutan, if you look at Nepal and Tibet, Bhutan is about right here. Uh, very, very mountainous, very mountainous Buddhist country filled with rivers, mountains, and lots of monasteries. It's an amazing tourist destination if you like adventure. Of course. If you don't, then probably maybe not your cup of tea. But it's extraordinarily beautiful. Yeah, the closest I've been to Bhutan is Nepal. Oh, yeah. Did Nepal a few years back. Mm -hmm. Beautiful, beautiful country, beautiful people, Mm -hmm. breathtaking. I remember we played volleyball out there. Yeah. Where you're playing volleyball and you can look to the side and boom, Everest right there. Yeah, it's just absolutely breathtaking. Yeah. Yeah, pretty astounding. Um, so you were mentioning earlier with whitewater rafting, you have to just focus on exactly yeah. what is happening. Mm-hmm. If you're not focused on exactly what's happening with intention, mm-hmm. what's gonna what could what could happen? I mean, you flip your boat, you get stuck. You're dead. You essentially. Well, I mean, you're not dead. You can be though, I especially mean, you, if you're I me. Mean, whitewater <laughs> rafting, you're dead. You have you have a, a PFD, a personal flotation device, sure. life jacket that will pretty much save you. Yeah, yeah. You know, as they're designed. But to. I think you have to think worst case scenario, right? Like so yeah. that you're like that much more proactive. Yeah. So there's a there's a law out there called Hicks Law. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard of Hicks Law before. No. But it's the more the more things you focus on, the slower you react. So if you're focused on other things or thinking about mm-hmm. other, you know things other than what's happening in your raft and guiding mm-hmm. it, like 
bad things could occur. Yeah, for sure. So we have to bifurcate our lives. And I talk about this all the time. There's no such thing as work-life balance. There's no equilibrium in life. It's work-life harmony. Mm -hmm. So like, for instance, we're doing this right now. We need to be focused on this right now. When you're on date night, you need to be focused on mm -hmm. your, your loved one in front of yeah. you. Not on your phone, not TikToking, not Instagramming, so forth and so on. That way you can give that person the most precious asset that you have, which is what, which is your time. Mm -hmm. And we talk about this all the time as well, is when you talk about love with our kids, the way our kids spell love is T-I-M-E. Mm -hmm. They want love. It's that full focus, that, that, that sheer intensity with them. So there's significance and so you can actually have contribution. So once again, Hicks Law, if you're weightlifting, if you're at work and dialed in on a project, the more things you focus on, the slower you react, have tunnel vision so you can be excellent at that so you can harmonize with the rest of your life. So when you were explaining the white water rafting thing, that, that came to mind, yeah. like how imperative that thing is. So it's, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, of course. It's, it, it, it's also, you know, kind of back to the pushing, you know, it's a, it's an amazing thing to look back on a rapid that's, you know, class four, class five, whatever, or class is, three. Is, is five the highest? Uh, six is the highest depending on the rating system, but yes, for our purposes. And six yeah. is just gnarly. Six, you won't even run. Okay. Five is like, mm, maybe, and I've only run a five uh, a couple times in my life successfully, but yeah, but a four is a big challenge that you have to kind of understand prior to what your line's going to be, where the obstacles are, where you're going to pull, where you're going to push. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's an amazing feeling to get through that. And then how many people are usually in a raft when you're guiding? Uh, as a guide, one to two. Okay. It's pretty average. So, so when, I, when do, I see... Go ahead. We do oars, right? Okay. So my boat is 15 and a half feet. Uh, it's a raft, right? So it's... Uh, it's not soft, but right. It's rigid. But, uh, then I have two 10 foot oars Okay. and then in front of me, I'll have maybe one to two people seated and okay. then we'll have all our gear. It's like the grandest car camping you'll ever do in your life because everything you have is on six or seven boats Crazy. for six or seven days, all your food, everything. So what life lessons can we learn other than just sheer focus, Hicks law? Like what else when you're doing all these, all these guides, all these tours? Uh, I, th I think it goes back to who are you really, you know, because I think that in danger, right in danger or in adventure or even in shared experiences with people whom you really love or maybe people that you clash with, right? I mean, you learn a lot about yourself when you have to manage not only the relationships, but you have to manage yourself, you have to manage your safety and you get to define, if you're not careful, you define it by default, but if you're deliberate and intentional, then you get to define who you are and maybe you're in a leadership position, maybe you're leading the trip, right? You get to define how you are as a leader. You, you know, are you kind? Do you yell? Are you appreciative? Are you... Are you generous? Do you have to be in charge of everything? Are there opportunities to let other people shine, build their own confidence, help them build their confidence, teach them a new skill? Opportunities where it's a, it's a microcosm, actually, in what has been for me a really powerful and positive way. 
Awesome. No, really good lessons there. That's amazing. You should, we should have all CEOs do a whitewater rafting yeah. um, trip with you so we can go yeah, over all these life principles. A, it's a Not really just CEOs, good thing. but just any leader in general, right? Um, now, you wrote a book. Yeah, my husband and I wrote a book called See Do Grow, uh, which is based on the principle of what you see, what you do, and then where you grow and how you grow following that. So yeah, it's, uh, it's based a lot on our time in Europe. So we lived in Europe for 13 years, Belgium for eight years, and then five years in Switzerland. And the process of determining a lot about our, our relationship and uh, really being intentional about who we wanted to be individually. Uh, we were, uh, you know, we'd been married, I guess, 15 or so years, well, yeah, almost yeah, 15, 16 years. And uh, our situation was interesting. Uh, my husband has traveled for, the, we've been married 32 years. And for Congrats. 20, thanks, it's great. And for 25 plus of those, he's traveled 50 or 60% of the time. So maybe we've been like 18, 19, 20 years, somewhere in there uh, together. And with two young kids at home, living in foreign countries, I think I got to the point where I allowed myself to become a little bit of a victim. Um, you know, my mental health maybe was struggling, maybe there were other challenges. And rather than really understanding and facing those, I blamed him. Mm. And uh, the turning point actually is in, in the book is, and I, rem I remember what I was wearing. I remember where we were standing. I remember looking up and, uh, you know, expressing this profound frustration to him. And he said, um, I love you, but this is your deal. I will support you. I will help you. I will uh, support you going to therapy. I love you, but this is something you have to figure out. So I was mad for like six months. <laughs> and, uh, and he did. He supported me and loved me. And I, at that point, really started seeking out a way uh, to define my own life separate from whatever the challenges were and it wasn't a six-month process I mean I'm it's I'm still in the process but what it did and what that defining moment did was um, allow me allow him to take responsibility for our own selves so getting to a point where we have an amazing relationship and an incredible marriage and also um significant and meaningful identities outside of our marriages a marriage <laughs> outside of our marriage and outside of our relationship that we come together on and support one another on it's uh it's it's an amazing process to go through that uh is also one of the most difficult things that we have ever done got it so when he said, hey, this is you, and you said that you were mad for six months, mm -hmm. what was it that caused you to be mad with what he was saying to you? Uh, I think whenever a mirror is held up, it's painful. It's, it's really hard to recognize that you're wrong, right? Or that you are placing blame or that you are... 
Um, how can it be me? How, how can it be you. me? It's got to be you. And uh, that was a really incorrect and a really harmful part of our relationship. Really, really harmful. I was doing nobody any favors. Each Our relationships, our children, the way that we interacted in the world. Um, yeah, that was that was very challenging. And he was right. He was right. And it's been... Was it, obviously it was hard for you to admit that he was right? <laughs> uh, I actually, I don't or think it was... Or did you know from the beginning he was right and that's why you were mad? I don't think it was as hard to admit that he was right as it was to admit that I was so wrong. Yeah. Makes sense. So wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been, you know, and so you go back to like moving back to the United States a couple years later after that happened, right? And finding that third space... Who actually am I outside of my home, my family, or whatever work I have, right? Let me ask you this. Do you think it was potentially lack of identity too? I mean, you were out there in Europe, mainly I'm assuming for your husband's job. So it was kind of a move for, again, I'm just assuming here. So you correct me where I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. But potentially we're out in Europe. We're chasing his career. Who am I? What's my identity? Where do I belong? I don't know. I, I, I do, I do agree with you, but I think that and there, I, I'm not saying that that's what it was. I'm no, just no, no, curious I, to see if, I think if that's that there the was a pretty profound misconception on my part that that is who I was. Okay. That, that it hadn't occurred to me other than a, a sense of dissatisfaction that what was missing was me mm. because you know, I mean, we're, we're pretty traditional family, right? Sure. Like he worked, he, uh, he brought money into our relationship and our family. I took care of our children. I took care of our home. So it was very traditional. And of course there's, I wouldn't ever say there's anything wrong with that, but the piece that was missing is that I, I thought that was it. And then my mental health, my mind is like, no, you're really unhappy, actually. This isn't enough for you. And not that, uh, and not that any of those things were bad or wrong. And I love being a mother and I love being a wife. And I was missing an identity. I was missing a community that was mine. Got it. It was mine. Yep. And that's what weightlifting gave me. Yeah. No, I, I, listen, that's fantastic. So you know that my wife's an author. We, we've mm -hmm. talked about that mm -hmm. quite a bit. But what I've noticed, and we'll be married for 25 years. Yeah. Congratulations to um, you. Yeah. Thank you. In, you know, in, a, in a little bit here. Mm -hmm. um, it's 25 years. That's crazy. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, but what I've noticed is our relationship, it's always been good. Mm -hmm. You know, and sometimes, you know, it can be a little bit like challenging, you know, with day to day, the kids, the whole nine. Mm -hmm. But what I've noticed is as I've found myself and as she's found herself and especially in this career, which just creates a lot of contribution for her mm -hmm. and a lot of significance and it keeps her busy. Like there's just so much more to share and so much more to get excited about because she's doing spectacular things and I'm doing spectacular things. And now you just come together and it's just that much more unified, if that makes sense, mm -hmm. because you're, you're living your very best life 
And then you're able to come in with so much contribution for the couple. Mm -hmm. So what I've noticed is, you know, she got her degree, she got her master's in fine arts and just kicked off her career. And it's just blossomed where I think you would almost think the contrary, where it's like, oh, you're so busy doing these other things. You don't have enough time to dedicate it to the relationship. No, because you're since you're working on yourself and you're dominating your sphere, now you're able to give that much more contribution to the to the couple, to the, mm-hmm. to the marriage. Yeah. And it's just blossomed. At least that's worked for us where it's never been better. And like I said, we're 25 years in the making here. Yeah. So I, I, like I relate to what you're, you're going over and I, and I'll, I'll let her speak for herself, but I think quite often she would find herself like I'm lost. Am I just here to yeah. be a homemaker? Mm-hmm. Am I just here to cook clean and, mm-hmm. you know, change diapers? Am right. I just here to you know, be this and get back in the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's just, it's just, it's part of it. So it's, it's really, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, you're welcome. I think maybe the one added kind of astounding benefit to that is, uh, the, my children, our children and what they see in, in our marriage. Um, and the, I think they have respect for both of us for striving for excellence individually and also how, like you said, it comes together in a collective way where we're more interesting. I mean, we were more interesting, but there's also this astounding amount of support and cheerleading that goes on in whatever it is Justin is doing or whatever it is that I'm doing. Yeah. Like it's it's so positive. It's so positive. And to be able to show your children how much you love each other and how much you value yourself, I I think that is it I think it's turned out to be secondary but so profound. That's amazing. As you were writing See, Do, Grow, mm-hmm. what intentionality do you have for your readers? What did you want your le- uh, readers to learn? from your writing, from you and Justin's writing? Uh, the book is pretty visual. Uh, there's a lot of great photography in it. There are some diagrams. There's uh, amazing artwork uh, from a Greek artist who allowed us to share. And basically, it's a book, I think, of self-discovery uh, in a relationship, right? So I don't exist in a vacuum, nor does Justin. So finding a way to become who you really want to be. Uh, And also looking at, uh, there's an opportunity in the book where you look at a horizon, right? And like I'm looking at this painting over here, right? And the closer I get to whatever's in front of me, the more different it looks. And then let's say I, you know, metaphorically or physically crest a hill, then the horizon is different. And so I have an opportunity to define that horizon and what I really want to be in those places. And that's been a that's been a powerful exercise, a very powerful exercise for me to go through, for Justin to go through, and really for anybody else to look and say, all right, this is what I see in my life right now. This is what's interesting. This is my professional persona. This is who I am individually and personally. What do I want that to look like? But also an amazing opportunity to be flexible in that. 
and say, you know, the closer I get to this, maybe it's a goal, maybe it's a position, to say, I'm going to look at this a little closer because I have a different perspective now and I can adjust. So I love the idea of becoming who I'm going to become and not stopping. Hmm. It's not, it's not finite. Uh, The reason I ask that is I think when I was younger, it would be like, be consistent, stay true. Your Mm -hmm. true North is this and don't be changing. You know what I mean? And I, I even had friends, they jokingly say, you know, you've changed. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I haven't. And mm-hmm. now I'm like, of course, I'm yeah. a human being and I'm supposed to. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to get better. I'm supposed to pivot. I'm supposed to challenge ideas and dogma and theories and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's my question. Has that been difficult for you over time or have you embraced it from the onset? No, I haven't embraced it from the onset. You know, I also, you know, I, I was very, you know, the wife, the mother, um, certainly get a degree. All the labels. Work, all, all of those things I was 100% bought into and lived, right? And they worked right up until they didn't. Yeah. Right up Did until they didn't. Did you feel suffocated didn't. at some point? I felt suffocated and I also felt incredibly, you know, and again to this, like I'm really unhappy so obviously it's somebody else's fault, mm. right? Because these labels, all of these things I've done up to this point. I've done everything right. I'm I've done everything. All my Why am I not happy? Yeah. And the bottom line is, is that's, I mean, happy is a very subjective word. Of course. And I get to define what happiness is. So I think over the last number of years, and certainly since the process of writing the book, there is so much freedom in uncertainty. There, there's so much freedom in not having to define all of it. And, you know, if I, if I am laser focused on this one thing, and there's nothing wrong with that one thing, not a single thing wrong. It is a great thing that's going to benefit my, me and the people around me. But what if I were to broaden my view and look around me a little more? What else is out there that I don't know about? I'm, I, I, curiosity is my very, very, very most favorite thing of all. Could be one and of your superpowers, right? Uh, I think it is. That's cool. Uh, I think it is. But... Along with what you're saying, right? You know, your friends saying, you know, you've changed. Mm-hmm. And there's there's this like guilt and they're feeling maybe a sense of betrayal because you're really, you're not who you were when they knew you or when they thought they knew you the best, right? And to your point, why should you be? We're the sum of everything we did like up until we sat down right here. Sure. And this will change my outlook on other things. Yeah. So I think allowing other people that freedom without judgment and supporting them and saying, what is it that, how can I support you in this new thing? Yeah. How can I support you in being you? I love that. And you define it. Yeah. There's a lot of human needs. And one of the human needs is certainty. Like certainty of shelter, certainty of where am I going to get my next meal, of relationships. You know, is my is my wife or is my husband, are they going to be loyal to me? I need that certainty. Mm-hmm. I need that truth. But also human need is uncertainty. 
like if everything is always vanilla and always plain and always just the same, like that's no way, no way to live. So as human beings, we need certainty. But on the flip side, immediately after that, as one of the human needs, we also need uncertainty as well. Imagine living in Groundhog Day. Yeah. <laughs> that's no way to live. Or listening. I mean, we, we all got our, we get our Spotify yeah. thing all the time. And every year it changes and it shifts. And yours is different than mine. And there's uncertainty in there. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes relationships shine is when there's difference of opinion difference of experiences, difference of taste. And also you as a human being, as you explore more, then you learn these different things and it creates that uncertainty in your life. And in fact, the more you travel and the more you go to Bhutan and different places that are not like your neighborhood, the more you learn about yourself and the more you discover of who you truly are. Mm -hmm. So thank you again for for sharing that. So let's, let's end the show with this. We talk, we've talked a lot about leadership. Your book talks a lot about leadership. We talked about the white um, water rafting. We talked about the, your role with the weightlifting. So what is your definition of leadership and what d- leadership do you want to exemplify? And what do you, like, what's a true leader to you? Uh, I think the, the phrase or the principle that I lean into the most is being loyal to the absent. Um, mm, I, I love that. Think, Holy cow. I've never heard that being loyal to the absent. Yeah. So let's, let's hit, let's yeah. bring that home. Unpack that. So if, if you were to look at, let's say weightlifting, right? Let's use weightlifting. And if you were to look at an organization that is for lack of a better term, a little bit incestual, as far as you have members who are athletes, coaches, maybe you have technical officials, Maybe you also have board members, you have staff, CEO. And as a leader, my hope is to increase my influence. And I think that it's important to differentiate between power and influence because power is absolute and there's a hierarchy there. And it is clearly defined. If you are more powerful than me, I know it and we're here, right? But influence is a little more subjective where I have the opportunity to express opinions and my thoughts and rather than being compelled to follow me, you have the opportunity to assess all of those things on your own. But if I am disloyal to the absent, if I am speaking poorly about any member of that group, I create a fissure in in the base of the organization, but also in my own character. So if I am if I am loyal to the absent, meaning that if I have a problem with you, I'm going to address it with you. I'm not going to do it in an open forum, especially where you're not there, right? So I am I am loyal to you. I'm loyal to myself and I'm loyal to the organization because I, my character is one of integrity and I'm, I'm not willing to sacrifice my integrity. You know, I mean, you hear about people speaking poorly of others all the time and most often it is somehow to elevate yourself and that it's, while it might not be seen immediately, it's eventually seen. And your influence goes away because you're not trustworthy. So loyalty to the absent, I love that. 
in my marriage, I don't complain about my husband ever to anyone, no matter what, right? I'm not giving other people, nor am I taking away the opportunity for other people to know him or to know the other individuals involved. That's fantastic. So loyalty mm-hmm. in the absence. To the absence. To the absence. Mm-hmm. Loyalty to the absence. Mm-hmm. It's I'm not I'm not so concerned or enthused by you being real to my face. I'm more concerned that you stay real behind my back. It's critical. Be real be real and loyal to the absence. Mm-hmm. And then have influence, not power. Influence is true leadership, nothing less, nothing more. That allows people to make the right decision because they're influenced through proper leadership mm-hmm. and not just through a power struggle. Exactly. And us versus them. Yeah. This has been fantastic. That was beautiful. Thanks so much for being a part of the show. Yeah, thank Hope you. Hope everybody enjoyed so many nuggets. Thank you so much, Jenny. You've thank been you. awesome. Thank you.